1: Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News. Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Welcome to Inside Sources. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. A lot of ground to cover as always in our 60 minutes here from eleven to twelve on KSL News Radio. And I hope you are gearing up. You survived the snow yesterday. Uh, Looks like we've got more coming tomorrow as we get ready to roll into the Thanksgiving weekend and a lot of good festivities there. So we're going to keep it moving today. We'll do a little quick rundown uh, here in our first segment. Uh, We are going to discuss today in our final segment, we are going to talk about the talk and being prepared for the talk. And no, I'm I'm not talking about talking to your children about the birds and the bees. Uh, we're actually going to talk about having the talk around the Thanksgiving table. Uh, amazingly, two-thirds of Americans are stressed about the conversation they're going to have to have around the uh, dining room table at Thanksgiving this year. And so we're going to give you some specific tips and strategies, things to do to make sure that conversation is elevated, meaningful, productive, uh, and doesn't spoil your pie. So uh, stay with us for that. We'll do that at 11:50 today. Also, Governor Herbert's going to join us today at 11:35. Uh, he is currently as we speak, uh, I think he's been uh, teaching a 6th grade class part of his uh, annual uh Thanksgiving rituals. Uh he goes and uh, talks about uh, local farms and uh, what that means, how we actually get food and fiber to the table and uh, the great role of Utah agriculture in all of that. So uh, once the Governor wraps up with the uh, sixth graders. He's going to jump online and uh, talk to us. We'll talk a little Thanksgiving. We'll talk a little bit more about the Tier 3 fuels, uh, that announcement from yesterday, and a few other things uh, hot on the table uh, as it relates to the Utah State government. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit about gratitude today, and ingratitude specifically, and some very interesting studies uh, talking about wealth. And the reason wealth is often not passed down From one generation to the next. Uh, The reason is quite surprising and it has a lot to do with gratitude. So we'll talk about that today as well. Uh, As always, I want to know what's on your mind today. So chime in, chime in on our uh, KSL uh, text line, Utah Community Credit Union text line 57500. Again, uh, Utah Community Credit Union text line 57500. I want to know what's on your mind, what you're thinking about, what you're grateful for rolling into a Thanksgiving weekend. And so, make sure you you weigh in and do that. As always, if you missed any of our uh, segments from yesterday, we had Jenny Howe on yesterday talking about mental health rolling into the holidays. A really important segment. If you happen to miss that, uh, download the KSL News Radio app, sponsored by Any Hour Services, and uh, make sure you uh, go back and listen to that. There's some great tips, some great strategies, not only for yourself in dealing with mental health and stress and anxiety during the holidays, but making sure those around you. Uh, have the support they need, the resources they need uh, to navigate uh, through what can be a really tricky time of year. Uh, So make sure you go back and listen to the podcast of yesterday's show uh, up there on the KSL News Radio app. All right, let's do a couple of the breaking news pieces of the day to make uh, sure you're making sense of the news of the day. Uh, We had a federal judge uh, reject President Trump's uh, absolute immunity clause uh, with a pretty stinging rebuke that the president is not king. And that is true, and that is an important part of our democracy. I think it's also important to remember that uh, Congress is not king either, and there is a balance of power for a reason. And we're seeing this play out in a really interesting way right now. Obviously, we're in the middle of an impeachment inquiry uh, and those proceedings. We're seeing uh, the the president uh, do a, a number of things by executive order. Uh, We're also uh, seeing interesting things in terms of uh, rulings in the court, why the courts are important. Uh, We've also uh, had uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a little bit of uh, trouble over the weekend, was back in the hospital, uh, had an an infection uh, from a fever. She is back out, so that's good news, and we wish her well. Uh, Her health has has been an issue uh, for the past year and raised a question for many whether she would step down. Uh, if that would trigger a, another Supreme Court battle rolling into an election year, uh, which would be fascinating to watch and uh, to see what the Republicans would do in charge that the Democrats did not, uh, as it related uh, to appointments to the Supreme Court during election years, during the final year of the Obama administration. So those will all be really fascinating things to to look at and and find out about. Um, a couple of things I want you to be thinking about uh, as we roll into this long weekend uh, there, there's going to be this moment in the country. Uh, we, we find this everywhere we go that the American people are exhausted. They're exhausted and exasperated by our politics. They're exhausted and exasperated by impeachment. Uh, a number of reports came out today showing that while a lot of Americans still over 50% of Americans believe that the impeachment, uh, inquiry, vote, Uh, Articles of impeachment and a trial in the Senate are the right thing to do. Americans are also becoming increasingly exhausted by it, and they just want it to go away. (laughs) They want it to end. And where they want it to end in particular uh, is in a lot of those uh, states that flipped from blue to red uh, in order for President Trump to win. So places like Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Uh, Voters in those places are saying you know what, we've had enough of the impeachment game. Uh, we'd like to move on to something else. And because of that, many of the Democratic strategists that I'm uh, talking with back in D.C., a lot of them are, are really starting to do the calculus now in terms of uh, what does this mean for us in 2020 if we stay on this impeachment train all the way to the end? What happens if it gets drawn out in the Senate? Uh, Does that cause us problems in elections in the House and in the Senate races, let alone in the president uh, for the presidency? And so there's a lot of calculations going on. There's a growing group, small but growing group in the House that are starting to say maybe maybe we should just censure the president. Let's not let's not go full articles of impeachment. Let's just censure the president, send that message uh, and then move on. Uh, and so that's going to be a very interesting debate. You've had a, a couple members in the House who have flipped, people who supported the impeachment inquiry process, who have now said, no, we just should censor the president and move on. Uh, that will be interesting for uh, people like Representative Ben McAdams, again, in a, uh, in a swing district, uh, if he will stay on the impeachment train or whether he will say, you know what, censure might be good enough and it might be best for the country to, to move everything forward. So those are things we're going to have to continue to to watch and weigh in on uh, and, and what this really means in the long haul. But the, the thing I want to get to is, is this exhaustion in the country. I I firmly believe that there is going to be a, a point over the next couple of years where I, I call it a snapback moment, where all of the angry, fiery, divisive rhetoric that we've heard coming out of Washington... Uh, the American people are going to say enough. We, we've we had enough heat. <laughs> We'd like to go for a little bit of light. And uh, that's what we always try to do on this show is to make sure we're not just focused on the, the heat, the anger, the fear, and the frustration that the political parties love to use to run campaigns and raise money, but really get to the light of what, what's the principle behind all of this? What's the policy that we should be getting to? Uh, and how can we do that? Because there, there is a way to get to the right solutions for the American people. We may not always agree with them uh, based on who's in, in power at the time, but that's okay. Our uh, republic has weathered many storms like that in the past, and it's important that we not lose sight of that, uh, that, that things are just that bad. You know, I, I had the opportunity to interview uh, presidential historian, historian Doris Kearns Goodwin a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, in fact, we'll be replaying that uh, on Thanksgiving Day here on KSL News Radio. But one of my my real takeaways from her, having watched her and read her work, as she studied, you know, great leaders and and presidents of both political parties over the years, uh, that we've been in tough spots before as a country, and we come out all right, and it's because of the people. And we should never lose sight of that. So, uh, as I mentioned before, during our last segment today at 1150, we're going to talk about 10 strategies for you to use around the Thanksgiving table on Thursday, uh, to make sure that you have a positive conversation that you can reduce your stress about having a political conversation. Uh, and it's important to to note that, uh, The kitchen table is really the place where it all began. John Adams said that the real revolution, the real revolution in those early colonies happened around kitchen tables and around the hearth in homes as people discussed principles. And so we're going to hit that a little more as we uh, cruise through the uh, hour here today on Inside Sources. So we're going to go ahead and step aside, take our first commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the courage to face ingratitude. The courage to face ingratitude. You don't want to miss this. Stay with us. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources today here on KSL News Radio. hope you're having a fantastic day. Uh, we are. Rocketing towards uh, Thanksgiving Day here on Thursday, and I wanted to take a couple of minutes today and just talk through a, a little bit about a uh, an issue of the issue of ingratitude and the courage to face ingratitude, and what does that actually mean in our society today. Interesting, at the turn of the century, uh, essayist William George Jordan, if you've never read a book by William George Jordan, uh, put that on your list uh, they're a little tricky to find, uh, originals, but you can find a lot of those online. Uh, but he's a turn of the century guy, and he wrote this. He said, Ingratitude, the most popular sin of humanity, is forgetfulness of the heart. So think about that. Ingratitude is the most popular sin of humanity, it is forgetfulness of the heart. And then he said this the individual who possesses it finds it the shortest cut to all the other vices. Uh, So he's actually making the case that ingratitude is actually the the gateway to all the other vices, to all the other problems. And I think that's really true. A number of years ago, I did some work uh, with a group uh, that Lee Brower uh, was leading, and they had done a a lot of study and a lot of work with families that were passing significant wealth from one generation to the other. Uh, So in all of their studies, uh, there's just this interesting phenomenon that family fortunes and wealth don't get passed on beyond a couple of generations in most cases. Uh, and it was really perplexing as they, they went through their research that even though there were clearly sufficient assets uh, that should have been able to be passed on.
2: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten.
1: It didn't. It eventually ran out. Uh, And then they came to their big conclusion. Uh, He cited that the number one reason why wealth does not continue from generation to generation is ingratitude. I found that incredibly fascinating, uh, that it wasn't that there wasn't enough money to begin with or that the stock market went bad or an investment went upside down. It was ingratitude was really the core cause uh, of that uh, wealth not being able to be passed down from generation to generation. And so this whole idea of ingratitude, uh, to me, makes for, for such an interesting conversation. And I do think it's important for us to, to think through the fact that that wealth is, is not just dollars and cents. It's not just assets. Uh, total wealth includes gratitude, I think, uh, not just for the the, the tangible stuff. Uh, but for relationships, personal connection, meaningful memories, all of those things are, are really part of our whole list of assets and, and wealth accumulation. Uh, but I think we have to to step back and, and look in the mirror a little bit on this one. The the courage to face our ingratitude, I think, is one of the, the most daunting tests of personal character. It, it's easy to, to become very self-sufficient. Uh, we don 't want for a lot of things in America today uh, there are many who do, but because we have so many things taken care of uh, it's easy to to become less than grateful uh, less than we should be. Uh, Albert Einstein uh, is often attributed with saying uh, there is only there are only two ways to live your life. one is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. And so here, here's what I've come to as a conclusion is that ingratitude can't exist in the same space uh, if you have awe, if you have wonder, if you have thankfulness uh, in all of the miraculous things and even the common things, probably more so in the common things that we, uh, we experience every single day. And learning to step back and, and be grateful and to have genuine awe and wonder for the common things in our lives and in our relationships, uh, to me, is part of getting to real gratitude, authentic gratitude, sustainable gratitude, empowering gratitude. Uh, and it's just a very different place to be. Uh, but yet everything we see on the TV and everything we consume online, everything is serving up this instant gratification, and it's you, you deserve it, uh, as opposed to you should be thankful for it. Uh, I've, I've told the story before of one of the people in my life uh, who is the epitome of awe and wonder and gratitude, uh, and it's my mother-in-law, uh, Joanne Casper, who passed away a number of years ago. Uh, but I had the chance to, to help her, before she passed away, uh, prepare her biography for printing. And, and she was amazing. Uh, she possessed this uncommon combination of grit and gratitude. Uh, in a way that I I don't think I've really seen in anyone ever. And, you know, she and her husband, Bill, my father-in-law, they went up to the dry and barren soil of uh, Columbia Basin in eastern Washington, and they built their version of the American dream in a really amazing way. Uh, Built an apple orchard and a business and raised a family uh, that uh, I've lost track. I think it's 52 grandchildren, over 70 great-grandchildren uh, and it keeps going on uh, but they were they just worked hard and they were grateful for everything they were grateful for the hard work they were grateful for the the opportunity to overcome big challenges and uh, her biography was was really aptly titled it was dreams really do come true um, but I always wondered if maybe we should have tweaked the title a little bit that it maybe it should have been gratitude makes dreams come true uh, because she had this childlike awe and gratitude for everything gifts challenges difficulties blessings uh she was a grateful soul and i'll I'll never forget the day we took it the manuscript of her biography to the the printing press we were going through the the proofs final proof and I'd taken my uh, my sister jana with me and and we were just Reading through the entire manuscript, you know, watching these extraordinary lives uh, of these two individuals just come off the pages and their commitment to make a difference, uh, their gratitude for the opportunity to do hard things, as I said, uh, was just really amazing. But there was this one moment I looked over at my sister to see uh, just these tears rolling down her cheeks, and, and she pointed to page 98. It's on page ninety-eight of my mother-in-law's history, uh, and then I I looked down and I read it, uh, and it completely changed my view of what authentic gratitude really is. This is what it said in her in her biography: uh, she said, her husband Bill took off a few hours on Christmas Day. She was so grateful for that that he was able to take a few hours off of work as they tried to build that farm, and then. She described the gift that she got from her husband on Christmas Day. And you would have thought she would, had received the uh, the crown jewels and a mink coat and a new car, uh, but she didn't. This is what she wrote. He gave me an aluminum measuring cup for Christmas. I was surprised he had taken the time and spent the money to buy something just for me. Think about that. Time and a tin cup were worthy of incredible awe and great, great gratitude. Uh, My sister uh, whispered, she said, you know, if only everyone could be that grateful for something that simple, the world would be a very different place. And, And that is the challenge, not just of this week, but of every day of how do we get to that level of gratitude. So when you think about it, when you think about the things that we are grateful for, and I'm sure we'll all take some time around the table on Thursday to express some thanks for a few things, uh, but I think it's more than that. Uh, I think it has to become a way of being, has to become a part of who we are and a part of what we do every day. It it is true. Gratitude seems to kind of naturally swell at this time of year, Uh, but properly lived, gratitude isn't a set of behaviors Uh, It it really is a way of being, and the results are are incredible. Uh, It drives out greed and selfishness and entitlement and all the other gateway things that William George Jordan talked about, but it also brings in its wake this desire to to lift and serve and to make a difference, and that true gratitude we were talking about in the newsroom, uh, true gratitude is expressed in, in action in what we do. Uh, William George Jordan, uh, just to go full circle with him, uh, again, he's writing this in uh, 1902, I believe. He said, let us conceive of gratitude in its largest, most beautiful sense, that if we receive any kindness, we are debtors, not merely to one person, but to the whole world. Let us realize that it is in kindness to all that we begin to repay the debt to the one. And I just, I love that. That if we, any kindness that we receive that we are grateful for, uh, we're debtors, not just to the person who served us or helped us or delivered something to us, but to the whole world. And that it's that kindness uh, that we can repay again to all, not just to the one. Uh, and so it's so important that we have these conversations again around the kitchen table. Uh, we'll talk about our political conversations around the table coming up here uh, at the uh, end of the program today. We'll give you 10 strategies for having positive political conversations around your Thanksgiving table. Uh, but I wanted to start with this because I do believe that the we have to have courage to face our ingratitude individually, as families, as communities, as a country. Uh, we we need to be more grateful, and then we need to act in a way that shows what that gratitude's all about. All right, stay with us when we come back. Governor Gary Herbert will join us, fresh out of the classroom, teaching the class uh, to kids about where food comes from and what we can do on Thanksgiving Day. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Inside sources. Inside sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you're having a fantastic day out there. Great to be with you on Inside Sources and uh, very pleased to be joined now by Utah's Governor Gary Herbert. Uh, Governor, thanks for joining us.
0: Well, thank you, Boyd, for having me on, and Happy Thanksgiving to you and the listeners out there and your family. It's a great time uh, to give thanks. We have a lot to be thankful for.
1: Oh, that's uh, that is for sure, especially here in the uh, the great state of Utah. Uh, I I know you have been in a sixth grade class for the last hour, uh, doing uh, your some of your traditional work there and declaring Harvest Gratitude Day in Utah. We've been talking about gratitude on the show. Uh, my first question is, uh, are you smarter than a sixth grader? Did you come out okay?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're pretty profound. They're innocent and very honest and uh, really pretty wise to what's going on. And and, uh, I'm very impressed with our young people. And that's why I'm so happy about the future. Uh, rising generation is going to take over probably quicker than they realize, but they're getting prepared and they're going to be ready. And so I appreciate the teachers and the parents out there that are making sure that the rising generation is getting the information, knowledge, education, talent that they need to go forward and lead this great uh, state and this great country.
1: Uh, it's so important. And I love the fact that you've gone in today with uh, with Carrie Gibson. Uh, your your commissioner there and uh, those from the uh, the farm and the agricultural side of things to to talk to kids about uh, where our food actually comes from i think that's a that's an important thing for them to connect the dots on a few of those things
0: absolutely with uh, fewer and fewer of us involved in agriculture in any of its forms it becomes imperative that our young people understand the significant importance of agriculture, agribusiness in our state and in our country. You know, uh, again, our foodstuffs that come and a lot of our clothing uh, products and things of that nature come from the farm. And this is designed to help them to understand as we come into the fall harvest season that uh, uh, in Utah our agriculture constitutes 21 billion, Mm -hmm. that's with a B, uh, billion dollars of our economic development in a state—it's uh, about 15 percent of our GDP. So it's a significant part, even though it's been a shrinking part. It's a significant part of our economic expansion and growth and, and development here in the great state of Utah. We export not only to ourselves food, but around the country and around yeah. the world, literally. Oh,
1: that's that's fantastic, and. Uh... Uh, you know i think it's so uh, so vital that we we have that discussion that our young people make that connection because as you were saying before it is it is about the future and I, and i want to talk about that future uh here and again if you're just joining us we've got governor gary herbert on the line just came out of a 6th grade class uh, talking about some important things uh and i want to talk about the the future governor uh you made some important announcements yesterday uh talking about this cleaner tier 3 uh, fuel and what that means obviously as we look to the future of those sixth graders you just spoke to, uh, clean air is going to be a big part of that. Why was this Tier 3 announcement so important?
0: Well, I I know we all have a desire to have clean air. We all want to be good stewards of the earth to make sure that we have a good environment to live in, to raise our families, do business, all those things, which really include having an outstanding quality of life, which is made better if we have clean air. And so this Thanksgiving time, in fact, I'm very thankful for Tier 3 Gasoline. Uh, it has, um, uh, the typical gasoline has 30 parts per billion of sulfur. Tier 3 has less than 10. And so as we transition to this Tier 3 fuel and add it to our Tier 3 automobiles, which are 2017 and newer, we, it's like reducing our exhaust emissions uh, by 80%. It's like taking four out of every five cars off the road. As we know we have inversions which are unique to our geographic location or meteorology. Even though we pollute less than most metropolitan areas of our same size per capita, when you have a lid on it with inversion it starts to build up and we have gunky days. Right. Most of that pollution, at least about half, comes from tailpipes. Mm-hmm. So with the uh, this now opportunity to have tier three fuels which burn so much cleaner uh, we're going to have a lot cleaner air now than we have before. It's a way for us, in fact, to make sure we have good, uh, breathable air along the Wasatch Front. Everybody can do their part by buying Tier 3 auto, uh, gasoline, put in their automobiles, even if they're not a Tier 3 car. Uh, it still reduces up to 15% of the pollution that we have now. So that's a significant reduction in and of itself. And as we transition to newer automobiles, it's going to get better and better and better. And so, uh, again, the opportunity for us to do our civic duty and Contribute to clean up the air is simple. Just go to uh, any service station. This is Speedway that works with Marathon Oil, which are the first ones to jump into the fray and lead out by producing. They're investing a hundred million dollars to produce Tier Three gasoline. There's no difference in price at the pump, so we can all do our part just by filling up. At uh, where you can buy Tier 3 gasoline. It's at Speedway, which is owned by Marathon uh, Refineries. Speedway kind of convenience stores. There's about 26 of them here in the Salt Lake metropolitan area. And they also are going to wholesale it out to Costco, to Maverick, to Shell, Exxon. So starting January 1st of 2020, there's going to be opportunities for us, in fact, to help clean up the air by buying cleaner burning Tier Three gasoline.
1: Okay, that's fantastic. And I, I noticed you got a hot dog out of it as well. So that's uh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't, I won't, I won't tell your wife that. But uh, in case she's listening,
0: <laughs> it's uh, for a buck. You know, you can get a nice hot dog at the Speedway that I was at yesterday when we announced
1: it. No, that's great.
0: A newer store. It was just very nice, yeah. very convenient. I mean, convenient location. Yeah, I want to ask you.
1: I want to ask you real quick, Governor, uh, you, you talked about uh, Marathon Petroleum and their, their commitment to this. Again, this was not something they had to do, but something they chose to do uh, as a business strategy. Do you see that this will be a, an opportunity to uh, to leverage this effort from Marathon into some of the other uh, refiners and producers uh, so, so we get everybody on board with
0: this? Yes, I absolutely do. I've met with all of them. This has been a long time coming. I started working on this literally three years ago and see if we could cajole, encourage um, uh, the other refineries, all the refineries, to, in fact, start producing Tier 3 gasoline. All of them had a desire to do it. Some have a a harder time and some have an easier time to do it. They don't have to do it. Under the Clean Air Act, they can average and uh, and not have to just skip over Utah. But uh, they all... Want to be good corporate citizens. They all want to be contributors to the solution, not be part of the problem. So I've been encouraged, and I expect Marathon again. We appreciate them stepping up, and saying we're going to be first, investing 100 million bucks to get this done. But you're going to see others come on board. Other refineries are going to gear up and do that. Uh, again, I think they're going to be forced to do it because all of us, right? Right. They want to go out and buy tier three gasoline. <laughs> right. It, again, it's easy to do. It's an easy way to clean up the air. Yeah. And it's a major reduction in pollutants. Yeah. So... In order to compete out there, I think all the refineries and all the outlets are going to want to have Tier 3 fuels available to retail to us that uh, need to fill up our our automobiles and trucks with gasoline. So I think that's going to happen. I think you're going to see this continue to transition in 2020. So more and more stations will have Tier 3 automobiles. Uh, gasoline for automobiles and hopefully by 2021 they all will have them
1: right right and and i love the fact that it can be a a competitive thing that they're going to have to do it to compete in the marketplace uh, because utahns aren't just interested in in just the cost and the cost is the same uh, but if you can get the same cost and uh, be able to do your part in terms of helping clean up the air is a, a big thing. Uh, governor, we got just uh, just a minute left, and I, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, to give a, a quick uh, Thanksgiving shout-out there uh, for the things you're thankful for or anything unique from your Thanksgivings uh, during your time as governor.
0: <laughs> well, we've, uh, we've freed a lot of turkeys. We've you know, <laughs> give them clemency and uh, (laughs) sent them to thanksgiving point. So uh, there's a few turkeys out there that are grateful. Uh, You know, we have a lot to be thankful. I hope we don't take it for granted. Our freedoms, our liberties, the opportunities that we have in this country, and particularly here in Utah, we're doing so well in in virtually every measurable category. That's because of good people that live in Utah and call Utah home. Good principles, good values, great families, uh, so I'm thankful for the people of Utah. I'm thankful for those who engage our legislature, our local government uh, uh, leaders, uh, our business and community leaders, our religious leaders who are doing the best they can to help us all treat each other right and and, and live by the golden rule. Uh, I, we just have a lot to be thankful for, and, and frankly... Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be the governor of this, uh, the greatest state in America and one of the greatest locations in the world to live, to raise families, to do business. We just have a lot to be thankful for, and I hope we take a little extra time to thank our Heavenly Father and, and our God and whoever we want to worship. And even those who don't have a faith say, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for. Let's do our part to maintain, to keep this a great place to live, and uh, just a lot of things to be thankful for. Count your many blessings, name them (laughs) one by one, and uh, that's what we all ought to do all 365 days of the year, not just Thanksgiving, but this is a time to focus on a Thanksgiving day.
1: Fantastic. Governor Gary Herbert, thanks so much for joining us on Insight Sources today. Always great to have you.
0: Thank you, Boyd. All right,
1: thanks for your leadership. All right, Governor Gary Herbert, we're going to step aside. When we come back, this is it. We're going to talk about the talk the Thanksgiving dinner talk. Don't go anywhere. We're going to give you 10 strategies to make it peaceful and productive and not uh, inducing any kind of digestive problems after you eat tomorrow. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Inside Sources today. Great to be with you as always. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Tissaret News. And uh, as promised, we are going to talk about the talk Uh, We had a few people panicked that we were going to tell you how to have the birds and the bees conversation with your children, but no, we're going to talk about the other talk, the Thanksgiving dinner talk, uh, because I think that's on everybody's mind, and so we're going to talk through uh, what that looks like, what that means, what that should be uh, as we move into Thursday, and Thursday will come, and America will uh, belly up to the kitchen table or the dining room table for Thanksgiving dinner and some conversation, and it's interesting to me, more than the, the indigestion from the meal, uh, not too many people are worried about that. More Americans are worried about the heartburn from any potential political conversation. Uh, and, and the fact is, it just doesn't have to be that way. It's one of the things we try to do on this show every day, is to recognize that it should not, it must not, it cannot be that way uh, if the country is really going to celebrate this holiday properly. Uh, And if we're going to really move forward as a society, Uh, some people say, well, just don't talk about politics. Uh, I think that's absolutely wrong. Uh, I think we should talk about things that matter. I think we should have uh, real conversations. And if we can't have civil conversations with the people we care about the most, then we got other issues that we're going to have to get to. Uh, But really interesting. uh, In uh, 2018, Pew Research Center uh, did a national survey. More than half of Americans Uh, say, talking about politics uh, with people they disagree with, especially family members, uh, is very stressful. Two-thirds of Americans feel stress about the prospect of talking politics with their family and friends uh, during Thanksgiving week. Uh, So there is that natural fear and trepidation. We're in the middle of an impeachment proceeding. We have all kinds of hotly contested issues uh, on the national scale. We have local issues going on as well. Uh, But the thing we have to do is we've got to learn to set aside the partisan talking points. We have to refuse to engage in the literal or virtual shouting matches, whether we're doing it at a real kitchen table or we're doing it online, uh, interacting with people. Uh, We have to get to this point. We can elevate the issues, uh, even the the difficult issues, uh, and have a different kind of conversation. And as we look at how do we do that, uh, we, we have so many issues. We've got another looming government shutdown on the horizon. We've got the partisan divisiveness, impeachment proceedings and on and on. Uh, and these are all driving really unnecessary wedges in families and communities in the country as a whole. And, you know, the kitchen table used to be the place. The dining room table used to serve as the place for people to come together to have meaningful and important conversations about principles, about policies, uh, about the future of the country. Uh, John Adams suggested that in those early days of America, Adams said that the real revolution began around the kitchen tables of the citizens in family conversations. Think about that. The real revolution began around the kitchen table uh, because they could have those conversations. They could talk about things. They could discuss the issues. Uh, And so I think it's time for America to come back to the kitchen table, the dining room table on Thanksgiving, and rediscover a lot of those principles that really do unite us as a nation. And so I promised I would give you 10 strategies today uh, for making your conversation around the Thanksgiving table a little better, a little more productive, a little more meaningful. So let's fire through them. Here we go. Number one, listen. (laughs) Listen first. Really listen. Uh, listening is much more than just being quiet while you think of the next zinger you're going to lob at your uh, Uncle Ted, who you disagree with politically. So you got to really listen. Two, you got to phrase your opinions. So when you're going to share your ideas, frame them in the form of a question rather than, an estate, than a statement. So you could ask, You know, do you think this principle or policy would work? How do you think this would apply? Would this solve the problem for the country or the community? So you're not changing your opinion at all, but by phrasing it in the form of a question, it allows the other person to be a lot less defensive, much more open, much more likely to maybe even buy into what you're saying. Number three, avoid personal judgments, especially about people or about their motives, So you cannot lob into, you know, Congressman X is an idiot or Senator Y, you know, doesn't know what she's talking about or anyone who votes for that candidate, you know, must be just a horrible person. Uh, No personal judgment, really critical. Number four, avoid instant certainty. We talk about this a lot. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't assume that a headline is the whole story. Don't reflexively dismiss another's point of view or their comment just out of hand Uh, you got to suspend judgment, no instant certainty. Remember, instant certainty is the enemy of getting to the truth. Number five, again, we're going through your list of ways to make your Thanksgiving conversation around the table a little better, more productive. Number five is to find common ground. Build bridges instead of driving wedges. Uh, Again, a really critical thing, but it's easy. It's much easier to drive a wedge than it is to build a bridge. So you got to have a little patience there. Number Six, gain uh, and acknowledge understanding about whether where others are coming from. So you can understand, oh, I can see why she believes this way or I can I can see why he would think that. Uh, so just have some some empathy there. gain some some understanding. Seven, choose respect over contempt. Uh, i I really firmly believe that more than the political polarization problem in the country, uh it is really a contempt problem where we dismiss people because we disagree with them uh and that is not american number 8 uh remember that nobody ever 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 has been badgered into changing their opinion on politics uh if a disagreement is inev- inevitable just find a way to disagree better disagree without being disagreeable uh we can do that number 9 ask good questions Uh, Good questions, send a a great message, and then really prove it. Prove that you're really interested in what the other person has to say by asking a meaningful follow-up question. Uh, That's the real test. Anybody can ask a question, but only people who are really focused uh, can ask good follow-up questions. And then finally, number 10 for strategies around the the kitchen table, do not take the last piece of pie. (laughs) Just had to throw that one in there. So anyway, those are those are 10 strategies. These will be up on deseretnews.com uh, tomorrow. Uh, you can catch those and against just some good ideas and guidance for you as you go into those. Because we can have positive conversations. We can do that. We can come to the table. We can engage. We can lift. Uh, in fact, I want to go back to uh, something Gaylord Swim said. Uh, he was the founder of the Sutherland Institute. But he described what our political conversation should look like. He, he described the political... Uh, Process this way. He said, The process requires strong advocates, certainly, but it also takes a counterbalancing sense of humility, civility, and dialogue. (laughs) Think about that. Humility, civility, and dialogue. Hardly what's been playing out on the national stage, but it is certainly what every citizen should be striving for, especially on Thanksgiving. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us uh, here as we march our way towards Thanksgiving this week. And uh, we hope you have a, a fantastic rest of the afternoon. Stay tuned for everything right here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources today. And as always, as you head out into the world today, especially on Thanksgiving week, see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference.